Welcome, Ecom Logistics Nation. Thank you for joining today's episode. We're on a mission to share e-commerce logistics insights, trends, successes, and challenges from the leaders and innovators in our space. So I do think that means for the retailers and brands, it may be a little bit muted. I think there's a little bit of caution going into 2023 on what the sales volume is, what their revenue is for, for a full year 2023. Welcome to this episode of the Ecom Logistics Podcast and our first recording in 2023. Nanad and I are really excited for today's chat with our guest, Mike Simpson, Vice President of E-Commerce at NFI. A little bit about Mike, he graduated from the University of Connecticut, then went into the Army where he served our country as an officer. Thank you for your service, Mike. After the Army, he found a home in both Texas and supply chain where he's spent the last 20 years. And like many of us in supply chain, Mike started on the warehouse floor in operations and quickly rose to leadership roles including president of retail and e-commerce for Genco, which was acquired by FedEx and is now FedEx Supply Chain. He now leads NFI's expansion in the e-commerce fulfillment space and is the executive sponsor for NFI's Veterans Committee, where he supports leadership development and NFI's commitment to the veterans community. Love seeing that. Mike, thank you for joining us and welcome today. Thank you, Dan, and I'm very excited to be a part of this podcast. I appreciate the invitation. And we do have to let the listeners know we both, Dan and I, have history with Mike. And my history, I do have to say, my career trajectory changed at the point that I met Mike and was given some responsibility around. You heard the president title at Genco. Mike was responsible for the retail vertical at Genco as a 3PL. And we got this opportunity to develop target.com back in 2012 and it was one of the highest throughput facilities outside of Amazon being developed in the e-commerce space and it was the wild west back in the days and I got the opportunity to work that and I do have to thank Mike for that experience because it it definitely was that milestone in in life that kind of changed the trajectory of where the career ended up going from that point so yeah, I worked under Mike. I worked side by side with Mike, and I'm really excited to have Mike on the call. Yeah, it's amazing the things that uh, the people that you meet and the journey that you go on. It's um, it, blessed to be here with both of you and doing this. The same e-commerce explosion that we've seen over the past however many years continues. So happy to be here on the journey with you guys. Absolutely. That's awesome. Thank you, Mike. And I think maybe talking about explosions and milestones, first recording in 2023. So we just got through a peak season. It's now in the rearview mirror. And there were there was plenty of speculation as to what it was going to look like compared to 2020 and 2021. So Mike, maybe I think it'd be a great place to start as you and as the NFI organization looks back at peak season, what were some of the observations and maybe key takeaways you have from from this past peak? Yeah, I think the what we've learned this year, it's pretty similar to previous years. The volume, some thought that it would be lower volume than previous years. It actually proved out to be as high or some areas higher within our organization. And within the e-commerce industry, we're seeing a lot of increased volume in specific verticals. We have a couple of customers that are just exploding with volume and they're continuing that through Christmas. We noticed it started earlier on in October and early November. We saw a lot of volume starting to come through. 
I think that was uh, as we went through a year ago and even eight months ago, the port situation where there were so many, so many ships in the in the sea waiting to come in through the LA that that caused a glut of inventory to be sitting on the water. And I think a lot of us saw that as an issue. And when would that come into into the US? And then what would happen to it? So what we saw is that is now sitting or has been sitting in a warehouse. When they got caught up in late Q3 and early Q4, that product had to move somewhere. So now it's stateside sitting in a warehouse. And I think some of the volume, time will tell as to how long that will take to complete, but some of the volume that we saw in fourth quarter was a direct result of discounts being done for the retailers and the brands to get the product out of their warehouses, out of their distribution center, out of their fulfillment center, and into the goods of, into the hands of the customers. Yeah, and that's what the speculations were, right? The speculation was, okay, it's going to be muted as a year from a sales perspective if the strategy does not change. And it seems like retailers and merchants and brands actually switch the strategy to see, okay, I got so much at hand, I need to get rid of it. I do have to say, again, I wasn't around for peak season this year to be making purchases specifically for Black Friday. I should say, or the Christmas season, I was on a little vacation break, but I heard it was fire sale all over the place. It was one of the best from a consumer perspective. Again, the... The spending power has definitely gone down, but when you see fire sales, people just jumped at it. And there is an added aspect that I heard about as well, which was buy now, pay later. Like companies like Affirm, like if you go to most e-commerce sites, all of a sudden, one year ago, this wasn't a thing where I could purchase something that is $500 and it's like, you can do interest-free payments for the next three years for this. And that was accessible to the large retailers that had the ability to give out credit. And now it's like pretty much any website. You could buy almost anything, buy now, pay later strategy. And I think that also played into it. And it turned the tide on what the peak looked like for last year. Really interesting that the speculations didn't come true, but there were other forces that actually played at to make it happen. Yeah, the retailers found a way. They found a way to to continue to gain that share wallet from the customers. And I'm actually a little concerned about that. The buy, buy now, pay later was so prevalent, like you said, Nanon, in every shopping cart. Every credit card is now, at least the ones that I've seen, are offering that. You want to take this $700 purchase and paid over a certain number of months, it's like a short-term loan for within the credit card system. We'll see how that plays out over the next quarter to see if the, the delinquency rate goes up or if if we've bought what we can handle. Yeah. You know what? There is a balanced play in there as well, right? So I, just a side anecdote. Growing up, I grew up in India. Growing up over there, I have to say, you bought things that you could afford, right? There was no system of credit cards me growing up. And then credit cards came in and the philosophy was the same thing. Oh, now people are buying things that they can't afford, but they are purchasing them and it's actually going to cause all of these problems and debt and rah, rah, rah. But what we saw was the opposite. The economy actually grew because people were able to access it and spread out their risk. And as long as, of course, there is delinquency and all of those challenges that come with it. But I feel like this is just the next iteration of credit cards, right? It's the next way of doing things. Again, am I saying it's the right thing to do? Every purchase that you make, you should be doing buy now, pay later. I think that there is a place for it and it might be a force of good, 
but it's going to bring some negatives for sure without a question so yeah my two cents on it but talking about speculations mike what's the speculation looking forward so we speculated it was going to be a horrible last year it's like peak mm-hmm. now we sit here in january looking forward and most of the people you talk to seems like they say the world's going <laughs> to right and the recessions come in the inflation's not going to stop etc etc housing crisis looming do you see that as a trend from a slowdown as you think about 2023 planning merchants that you deal with brands that you deal with what's your kind of crystal ball saying that 2023 looks like yeah i wish i had a crystal ball and not <laughs> i think that would be fantastic to have that but i think from what i'm hearing and seeing and from what our customers are, are saying a lot of it is the unknown you got to pick a path but be flexible so the path that a lot of our customers are on is that it will be muted there is still although a lot of inventory was decremented over the past several months with the discounts there's still a lot of inventory sitting in warehouses that may be out of season. I think the secondary market is where a lot of the deals are going to be the the primary brands and retailers need to free up this space, right? It's not efficient to have sitting inventory in a fulfillment center. That and- needs to turn. So, I think they're going to have to get rid of it, take a discount on that and the secondary market is going to is now and will continue to be flooded especially with the we're right now in first quarter of 2023 we're now in the heavy return season right so all of that product has to come back through a returns process and it has to go some primarily though it would go through a liquidation process or a reseller process if it doesn't meet the criteria to get put back in the stock So now with all of the new stock that's existing from last year, something has to be done with that new stock. So it's going to it's the new stock and the return stock I feel are going to battling each other for the share of wallet on the reseller side. And they may be able to command now higher margins from not just who they're buying it from but also from the market. So on the good for the consumers and more right. fire sales. Right. right. So I do think that means for the retailers and brands it may be a little bit muted. I think there's a little bit of caution going into 2023 on what the sales volume is, what their revenue is for for the full year 2023, but they're also confident in their product. Those that are have a good product, they'll sell it. It's just the timing of it. makes complete sense makes sense and i guess that might be a good segue right now whether it is peak season steady state i wish we all had a crystal ball as to what was going to happen in the next 3 6 12 months but what's really top of mind for a lot of people in logistics is labor and the labor topic is certainly inclusive of warehouse associates leadership all supporting roles within supply chain and as we've talked a lot lately on the podcast it's the rise of cost for labor the lack of availability and curious mike with your 20 years of experience in supply chain and logistics and e-commerce fulfillment what's your 
philosophy or approach to attracting and retaining talent, keeping teammates motivated in a very fast-paced environment, and obviously maybe even more importantly, grooming the next level of leadership within logistics. So like a blanket question, just what have you seen work really well for you over your career and any advice you'd have for others on the topic of labor and recruiting and retaining and motivating? That's a great question, Dan. It's something that we've been putting a lot of effort into as the NFI Ecom team, but it's also uh, what NFI does from a talent acquisition perspective to attract, retain, and develop is the mantra that, that our, our talent acquisition team and our leaders use throughout the year. Labor at the hourly level will continue to be challenged. It, so you look at the unemployment rates at some of the key markets like Indy or Southern California, Columbus, they are low single digits, two, three, four percent. As a country, we're four percent and below at times. And it, uh, you wonder where has the labor gone? Where is the labor gone? It's not like we, we have six, seven, eight percent unemployment and we're trying to fill these jobs. Everyone that wants a job is able to find one. We're hiring posters all over the place, the yeah. Indeed yeah. and LinkedIn and all these different recruiting platforms are always hiring. But I think the the labor is no longer what it used to be when the unemployment was that was much higher. So it, that turns into how, how do you attract? What are the things that you're doing as an organization other than pay? Because I think we saw over the past 18 months, everybody had to pay more in every industry. And yeah. those, rate, those wages stayed where they are. Inflation caught up to that. So there's inflation there. So it, people need jobs and people want to work. It's just now they have a little bit better of an opportunity to choose what field they want to go into. You know, they want to work in a warehouse in a high speed fulfillment operation. Do they want to work in customer service? All of, do they want to drive a truck? It is at their disposal to really anyone can work anywhere they, if they have the skills necessary and the desire to, to gain those skills if they don't have them. So the attract component continues to be a challenge. It'll continue to be a challenge. It's not as bad as it was a year ago. What we saw this fourth quarter is that in key markets, we were able to find the labor and they stayed. So now it's the retention component yeah. of that we do well at NFI is that a very people-focused organization. And if you don't have that as an organization and you just churn and burn, we've all heard stories of companies that, that, uh, that bring hundreds, of thousands, hundreds and thousands of warehouse workers in, and then at the end of the season, they, they let them go by the wayside. And that is an unfortunate, that is an unfortunate part of the peak season, but it also is how do you treat those employees and those that you wanna keep how do you retain them? So what does the retention program look like? How do you the how do you treat the employees? And that is the biggest part of retention is how do you treat your employees? How do you treat them while they're in the four walls and outside the four walls? How do you, do you are you empathetic to their situation? A job has to get done, but do you empathize with what they're going through outside? And can you connect with them at, at the very personal level? Yeah. And inside the four walls as well, right, that sometimes that environment is really hard when you're working that eight hour shift and you're constantly on the move. Let's also face the reality of our space. We got, I'm on the system side of things. One of the systems I 
I understand why, but I chal- I'm challenged with is labor management systems, right? They are designed to ensure that you get the highest throughput or highest productivity out of an individual. And again, from a business perspective, that makes sense. But there is an individual on the other side of it. And yeah, of course, we want the best out of it. But there is an empathy level that goes along with it as well. So there is the empathy on the outside, but also empathy within the organization to understand what these individuals go through and how much effort they put in. And how do you like what's like the, a reward system, right, to, that, that you have seen work from a retention inside the four wall? Because sometimes the work is mundane. Sometimes it's quite repetitive for these individuals as well. So how do you make that more fun? Do you, have you deployed strategies or any recommendations for our audience on that side? Sure. Yeah, it's uh, the thing about rewards and strategies around that. There are things from the, that run the gamut. And the interesting thing about that is that it really is individual dependent. And the nod you may reply, respond well to, hey, let's. I'm going to buy you a boxed lunch from Jimmy John's or Subway, right? And then you get that and you have that and that's great. We'll sell that to Dan and I tell that to Dan. And he's like, I don't even eat lunch. What, why are you, I have a, I'm allergic to, to gluten or whatever it is. And he, he may just would rather have 30 minutes more of lunch to be able to see his kids, right? So it yeah. really is, it's a hard thing for facilities because what the default is, well, let's buy lunch or let's mm-hmm. bring in lunch or let's bring in dinner or, but it really is, those are almost table stakes to, to keep the team engaged at the site but how do you how do you dig deeper and at an individual level yeah know the employees and have a conversation with them in, in studies that i've done and that our our hr team has done we have these we use a system to gather employee feedback and the biggest return for us has been or are the biggest satisfaction increaser is just the gm knowing their name the GM talking to them yeah. about how their son did during soccer or their daughter did in dance. It is really that fundamental from a humanistic perspective is to really connect. And it's hard to do, right? When you have 400, 500 people in a facility, it may not be the GM, but if it's the supervisor or if yeah. it's the operations manager, someone on the leadership team has to take an interest hard. in the employees. Yeah and show that they care and that can't you can't make that yeah it has to be genuine exactly i don't think about it that way but now that you say it i i even my entire career or i I would say it's almost everyone that you just want to be recognized by whoever is up top i think that is the greatest reward if i'm at fedex i want mr smith to actually know me right or say okay i know who that guy is right like it's 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 such a human kind of core behavior that, or the expectation that it is one of the greatest rewards that once you work, you are being recognized by your leadership. And yeah, it doesn't take a lot of effort, but it has to be very genuine and it, it has to come across that way. And to your point, when you got three, four, 500 people, it's hard to do. To the people that are listening that have smaller operations or they got 30, 40, 50 people, I think that's very naturally achievable. And it does require a little bit of effort, but I, I would say that's a really good recommendation that know about people, know about what are your kids doing? What's your wife doing? Or what's your family? Where do you come from? Or what's your interest? So really good point, Mike. 
Yeah, and we, we want to be careful that we don't give a pass to those with the larger organizations, right? Yeah. Three, four, five hundred, a thousand yeah. in a building. It's still your responsibility if you are the GM or the director or VP over that site. Lay the foundations, have it as an expectation for the leaderships, the leaders that you bring into the building because it's important. It's as important as anything else that you're going to do in that facility. Real wise words, Mike. Thank yeah. you. Absolutely. And I think another path, which some people don't make the correlation is with automation, right? I know in, in the beginning, in the intro, Nanad mentioned a huge project that, that you led in your past life, Mike, that Nanad was a part of. And I think inappropriately, sometimes when people hear the word automation, the, the first reaction is reduction or elimination of jobs, which again, it's all about gaining the most economical throughput in a facility. But what we've seen time and time again, going back to retention, is that the, it improves the quality of life for an associate that's working within a facility, an hourly employee or a manager or a supervisor. And I've been in facilities where the expectation for an eight to 10 hour shift was almost the equivalent of walking a marathon. And you'd punch in and you'd get a cart, you'd get some orders and you just started walking and you didn't finish. You, you weren't, except for breaks and lunch, you just, you were walking and walking at a fast pace where it was not uncommon for someone to log 18, 20 miles a day. And then seeing automation come into a, that facility and that associate now walking maybe four miles or five miles a day in some cases not walking at all because product and inventory is coming to them instead of them going out into a four hundred thousand square foot facility and finding the product so i think with with that would love to get your thoughts on what advice you have for when to start thinking about automation and that investment that comes with it is the expectation, hey, I need to get an ROI within X amount of months? Or I think a lot of people just automatically struggle with thinking about when can I start looking or thinking about automating my, my facility? Yeah, that's yeah, great. It's a great question, Dan. I think the fundamental basis of automation is no longer required to have only an efficiency gain. I think fundamentally, as I mentioned, the, the lower unemployment rates, it's a necessity and it's actually a quality of life issue that we're trying to, or industry-wide, not just at NFI, but industry-wide, we're trying to be better for the employees inside the four walls. As you mentioned, 10 years ago, it was an efficiency and reduced headcount, and that was the sole basis of it. And there may still be pockets like that, but fundamentally, the, I'm seeing a shift, and certainly at NFI, seeing a shift where we are focusing on safety, number one, quality of life, so that someone doesn't have to walk 10 miles during yeah. a specific day. There's automation that can reduce that to four, and that's or two or zero, right? Or just yeah. however far it is to walk in from the beginning of the, the warehouse door to the operation. Um, and there's so that's the we're looking at that those two components and then of course efficiency is always going to be part of it because it has to pay back somehow although the other piece is customer service to hire the automation project that not talked about and others that we're looking at and that we operate today 
it's vital to just meet the customer service level. Yeah. Order drops by three and you have 20,000 to do by six. <laughs> Virtually impossible to do it with headcount, yeah. right? You have to do it with some type of automation. So we've spent the past six months, the NFI Ecom team, and I have spent the last six months going through an automation assessment, just what's out there. It changes so rapidly. There's so many things that are out there now than there were even two years ago. Yeah. The landscape changes so quickly, which is fantastic. There, there are a lot of options out there. And we looked at, to your question, Dan, what is that progression? And it really depends on the customer you're supporting and the industry you're supporting or the vertical you're supporting within the brands and the retailers. So is it a small thing that can fit into a, a small area? A lot of them can spend in, fit into a small area, like a t-shirt or nail polish, or if it's something that's small, or is it a refrigerator, right? I don't yeah. know how many, yeah. so there, how many automation initiatives and conveyor are gonna support refrigerators, but there's certainly a high degree and a high number of those that'll support the previous ones, t-shirts and apparel. So we looked at goods to person to goods, having the automation go to the bin location and have meet the picker there? Or is it fully automated where it's goods to person and the person just stands there, the employee stands there and it's presented to them? Yep. So we evaluated the goods to person items like Exotech is a great one. Geek Plus is another twist to that where it doesn't require high bay racking. Each has its own element of, of usage. Yeah. We operate today, NFI does two large auto stores and one in Indy and one on the West Coast in support of a customer. Each one has their own application. You really have to understand the product that you're supporting. And then there, there we also, the Six Rivers, Chucks, we also yeah. operate the Locust Bots. So each one makes sense in the operation that they're in. And what we had done over the past six or eight months was evaluate all of it. We looked at everything out in the market. We had an evaluation of the where we want to play in the space with the mid-market brands and the merchants. And we looked at the type of product that would go best with what expect from a throughput perspective and where we want to be from a cost competitive perspective. And we identified some that work and some that don't. Some of it, some of them, the capital outlay just, it takes a while. You have to yeah. very high volume, but some of it is plug and play and can happen right now. Yep. And also the capital outlay from a ROI perspective, I've seen solutions that pay back in 10 months, like the payback mm -hmm. period straight up 10 months. And like, those are no brainer solutions out in the market. You know, I just want to add to that. Like the thing that you just mentioned about NFI and I just talk about just general 3PL as a space, right? Is most retailers out there or most companies out there will be able to experience one, two or three of these products that you just mentioned. And the fun, I just have to say, I truly enjoyed working in a 3PL because you get to play with so much technology, right? From Boimer sorters to auto stores to Exotechs to Fetch Robotics to Six Rivers, Locust. Just bring them on, right? Every project's got it. So you get like that real world experience of seeing how they operate. Because there is one thing to buy something and do the math on a Excel spreadsheet. But there is another to actually see, go to another operation and be like, what do you think about these robots that you've been running for the last year and a half? And right. you just have that accessibility. So I said it, I miss working at a 3PL said nobody <laughs> ever, but yeah. 
No recruiting calls. Yeah. No yeah, recruiting well, calls. If you ever uh, just submit your resume and nod, and we'll see what we have anything for you. I want Mike maybe to go back to something you just talked about, and that was like your your focus with the mid market brands because something I'm excited to to hear your perspective on is I know you and your team recently completed a voice of customer exercise focusing on brand mid market space and listening and learning about their e-com fulfillment experiences. In some cases, they insource, they do it all themselves. In some cases, they outsource and have a 3PL partner. And again, I know you guys just went through this this research period. So would love to hear what you learned from that exercise. And if you heard any consistent themes or what your biggest takeaways were from that. Yeah, there were some pretty consistent themes across that research, Dan. And it's the number one thing that we've seen that we got back from those customers and the brands are the scalability. They're struggling with scalability, especially after the last two years. It's been tough or wide with labor shortage, et cetera, but scalability and being able to support the retailer, the brand scale was the number one issue that had that caught our attention the most. Now, the second biggest thing was transparency and pricing that was very high up on the scale across across the brands. And what we heard from the brands was that there's oh, there seems to be a, an issue with hidden prices. They didn't know about this penalty or the volume went to a point where, you know, somewhere deep into the contract that this price penalty or these additional charges on the transportation side that they weren't aware of. So that was a big component that, that caused a lot of angst with the ones that we talked to. The third one was reporting. The reporting aspect was a pretty big concern in that they feel that it was a black hole when it went into this, when, when they got the order out of Shopify, let's say, and it went into their partner's WMS, they didn't see until it was delivered. They didn't have any information until it was ultimately delivered to the customer or not delivered, and then it became a problem. So those are the three primary things, Dan, that we heard. I think that makes a lot of sense. And that's great advice for brands that are out there maybe searching for a 3PL for the first time or make, looking to make a change from their current provider. And there's, those are all things that the proper due diligence can uncover when exploring a partner. So I think those are um, great takeaways and which lead to great advice for, for brands that are in search 3PL mode. Which so, there should be a lot post-peak so there always is a lot post-peak yeah. yeah we're hearing a lot of 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 consternation in the market yeah. a lot of rumbling in the market around that we've heard that some are still shipping their black friday shipments even into early january which is obviously catastrophic for customer loyalty and not just retaining but gaining the customer loyalty oh yeah wow did you yeah. say there are people so we said here early january you're saying People are still shipping Christmas yeah, holiday uh, gifts? Yes. Yeah, that were purchased Black Friday after Black Friday. None yeah. of our customers, of none course, of the NFI yeah. customers, but uh, <laughs> ones we're fielding calls from are in that boat. And it's unfortunate, right? You think of, of what that impacts, right? Yeah. That impacted somebody having a lot of anxiety around not having the gift that they bought that was the perfect gift and they had to find something different. Now, what are they going to do with that gift when it comes in? <laughs> they're either going to keep it or they're going to return it. They're going to return yeah, it, right? Here's a free advice from me for anyone that's in that situation. If you are a brand and you are going through that yourself in your own operation, look for a 3PL. 
If you are a brand that's using a 3PL that's actually doing that to you, look for another 3PL. I think that's a no-brainer at this point. <laughs> there, are all, there are alternatives. There is a better solution. And again, I think as someone who's been in the space for a long time, you talked about scalability. Scalability isn't just... I went from 100 orders a day to 5,000 orders a day. Scalability means I might have gone into different sales channels. So maybe I was digital native and all direct to consumer. Now I'm heavily involved in Marketplace and Amazon. I'm also doing some retail distribution and drop shipping. So the scalability comes from multiple fronts and not every 3PL is equipped to handle the different types of scalability that are required. Maybe they could handle more volume by throwing some labor at it and brute strength. But when it comes to marketplace or sales channel expansion or even international expansion they're just not equipped and it's going to break yeah i think who was a good partner six months ago three years ago just might not be a good partner going forward doesn't mean they're a bad 3pl it just means they're not equipped to handle your specific needs but they're the good news is there's plenty of opportunity there's plenty of other providers to to explore i will say i don't know and not in this particular case but we can't let the retailers and the brands completely off the hook on some of this, right? Because there are forecasting things, there are forecasting that comes into play. If the forecasts are wildly off, then yeah. that's gonna cause problems regardless of the provider. Okay. Now, agree in the intent, the degree of the, yeah. the disparity and how much you can handle is definitely a component of the 3PL or the partner, but there is a component of sales spike you expect them to spike 200% and they sail and they spiked 1200%. There are things that can be done, but you're not gonna make all of that 1200 from 200 to 1200% difference in a short period of time. Yeah. Yeah. That's not gonna be corrected overnight or within 24 hours. And I think that kind of goes back to, in working with brands that that outsource the 3PLs, it's all about communication. How often, to your point, Mike, which was, are you communicating forecasting? How often are you truing it up? And when you see, oh my gosh, I just got this huge spike from some Instagram viral video that, that took off, how do you collaboratively work together to solve for getting things done? So I think, yeah, great point. As I mentioned in Mike's intro, he's leading a team that's, again, expanding NFI's e-commerce fulfillment solution. And Mike, I'd love if you could share a little more about that expansion and how our listeners could get more information or talk to someone to learn more. Sure. Yeah, so it's it's an exciting time for sure. We, over the past 12 to 14 months, we've been expanding what that looks like for NFI Ecom. And what we've done is we've taken that time to really listen to the customer, the voice of the customer piece that you had mentioned, Dan. A big component of that was making sure we knew what the market wanted and needed and how do we modify and enhance our offerings at NFI, and this is probably little known, but NFI ships around 20 million packages a year of e-commerce out of our various facilities. NFI has 70 million square feet of facility across the US and Canada, and it's building every quarter. There's a million square feet or so that's added to the to the list, but they're in geographically dispersed, dispersed areas and in major markets. 
NFIECOM is going to operate within those facilities to make sure that we can expand into a facility without burdening us ourselves or the customer on speculative space. Our right? space is such a premium, labor is such a premium that we want to build it right. And that's how we started. So this offering is we want to be able to launch or we will be able to launch within 30 days of contract. So usually it'll be before the customer's goods can get to us is when we'll be ready to launch. We'll be ready to ship before it get there, before the product gets there. We're going to be based out of Columbus, Ohio initially, but quickly expand into the West Coast. We have 20 million plus square feet in Southern California that that we'll be able to carve some space out with within that space. But we have the operation so we have the facility set up in Columbus, ready to go. The IT component is being finalized, and we'll be ready to go here in Q1. Amazing. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. So for those brands that might want to learn more, is there a website they could go to or maybe just on search on LinkedIn? Is there someone they could contact to, to learn a little bit more? Yep. Two components to there. The website is ecommerce.nfiindustries.com is the website. On LinkedIn, our senior director of sales is Steve Cyberson. Search him up or you can find me on LinkedIn as well, and we'll make sure you're well taken care of. What we found is that the most underserved market is the mid-market retailer and the brand merchant are the ones that we felt we could help the most. And that is really what it boils down to is that of the 70 million square feet, the, the thousand customers that we have, we feel we can take all of that expertise and experience and really bring that to bear with, with the full weight of the organization to support, but be nimble enough to be able to move quickly to the mid-market, the mid-market brands. So that's really where we really think we can make an impact. We know we can make an impact into that market. That's exciting. And we certainly look forward to watching and reading and hearing about how everything is progressing for you. Obviously wish you the best and excited to see how, how the hockey stick growth goes over the next months and years. Congrats on that. And with that, I want to thank you, Mike, so much for joining us today. It's been an awesome conversation. And, and again, thanks and look forward to maybe a round two sometime. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. And, uh, thank you, you very much. Some, you guys are doing some amazing things with the podcast and just in general with the e-com logistics nation. You guys are a source of truth. You're a source of expertise to, for, for those that you have on your podcast and even the interviews that you do. And really appreciate your partnership. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that, buddy. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to maximize your supply chain. Available on all major podcasting channels. Thank you for listening and see you in the next episode.